You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Amen. All right. So we all there? Did I give you a scripture? John 19.30. There it is. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. It is finished. Jesus made seven statements on the cross. This is the final statement that he made. It is finished. So if Jesus said, it is finished, it kind of bodes the question, what's finished? If it is finished, then what is it? What is it? What's he talking about? It is finished. It is finished. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I ask that you speak through your servant in these moments that we have. Father, that I would make every moment, every second count, that today would be a powerful, powerful, life-changing time in your house. Father, we love your word. There is nothing like it. So speak through your servant, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 17. Let's unpackage what, what it means when Jesus says, it is finished. Uh, Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. One more time, let me read that again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The Bible says that in the Old Testament that if a man murdered somebody, if a man shed blood, the only way for there to to be atonement was that uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that that man would have to die. The Bible teaches us that the land of Israel, every, every land that the people went in, they polluted the land. And because they polluted the land, they, they, were, they were driven out of the land because they practiced things like abortion, child sacrifice, murder, violence, oppression. Because of that, the land became polluted. So point number one, it began in Genesis. It began in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you can't eat of all the trees? She said, well, actually, we can eat of all the trees except that one. That one's God's. We're not allowed to eat from that one. The serpent says to her, you know why you can't eat of that one? God's holding out on you. <laughs> he knows the day you eat from that tree, you'll be just like God, but he doesn't, he don't want you to be just like him. He wants to rule over you and he's threatened and insecure. And so he's got to keep you down. If you eat from that tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. When she looked at the tree and saw it was good for food, able to make one wise, pleasant to the eyes she took and gave some to her husband, they both ate. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They were already naked. I believe that as soon as they ate, as soon as, as soon as they, they, rebelled as soon as they were disobedient as soon as they sinned I believe that the, the there was a glory that covered them the glory of the Lord covered them that that glory lifted and now they had to try and manufacture what God had given and so they sewed fig leaves together the problem with fig leaves is once a leaf is removed from its source uh, leaves brown up and dry and shrivel up and they're going to fall off and so 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 they would have to be in this cycle of continually having to sew fig leaves together so the Bible says when God saw that 
you know, that they'd eaten from the tree, that God himself provided a covering with the skin of an animal. The Bible does not tell us, but many, many Jewish scholars and rabbis believe that it was, it was the blood of a lamb. It was the, the, the skins of a lamb. That, that, that you know, lambs' wool coverings were made by God, which meant this, that when Adam and Eve sinned, God, the wages of sin is death, but rather than man dying, because God loved man, and he saw that the serpent put sin into man. The reason the devil did this is because he watched. He was an eyewitness in the garden. He was an eyewitness in the garden, and he saw the fellowship that the father had with his kids. He saw the joy that the heavenly father had every day, walking in the cool of the day with his son and with his daughter. He saw the fellowship. He saw the joy. He saw the delight. It was God that said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God created man fashion because God wanted a family. God didn't create man because he wanted a worker. God didn't create man because he wanted a slave to rule over. God created man because he wanted family. And when the devil saw the joy, still angry at, at being thrown out of heaven, losing his place, he thought, you know what? I'm going to stick it into the heart of God. You know what I'm, I'm going to do? God is holy. God is so righteous, he cannot look upon sin. Therefore, I will put the very, very thing that is abhorrent and detestable to God, I'll put it in his son and daughter and then see what he does. And so he tricks Adam and Eve into sinning. I mean, it's interesting because of all the trees they could freely eat, it wasn't like this was the only tree for food. It wasn't like, and the Bible says, and after 57 days of not eating, Adam and Eve were so hungry they ate from God's tree because there was no other tree. Out of all the trees, they had aisles and aisles and aisles of food and everything. I don't even know if they'd tried pineapple yet. But all of a sudden, they find themselves, isn't it amazing about human nature that the one thing that you can't have, all of a sudden, you ever notice that? The one thing that's forbidden, the one thing you can't have, all of a sudden, you know, it's, oh, well, what can I have? Why can't I have it? And, and so the Bible says that, that when they sinned, when they sinned, the wages of sin is death. But God, rather than killing man, goes... But an innocent animal that day died and the blood was shed and then God provided covering. Point number two, because I want to move a little bit quick because I want to finish better than I did in the 8.30, but don't tell them. <laughs> so it began in Genesis. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But point number two is innocent blood shed provides a covering. Innocent blood shed provides a covering. It provides a covering. So we see it in Genesis that an, an innocent animal, the, the, the animal didn't eat from God's tree. Adam and Eve did. But rather than death coming to man immediately, God was able to temporarily atone by the blood of an innocent animal. Something innocent had to die to protect or to cover the guilty. So... In Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, there's a snapshot. When Adam and Eve sinned, the human race went into exile. The entire Jewish story, if you talk to a rabbi, if you talk to a Jewish person, they will tell you that the history of the Jewish nation is exile. 
they were in exile in Egypt 430 years. Then they were in exile again in Babylon where they were taken away by Nebuchadnezzar and they were put into Babylon. That, That it's been one exile after another after another. But the original exile from the presence of God, from the garden of God, from fellowship with God began in the Garden of Eden and it began with a serpent deceiving mankind into sin. This is important because we're going to land. It's going to help me where I land. So, so now in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, God says to the children of Israel, it's enough. You know what? I've heard your cry and I've seen the oppression and I'm coming to deliver you. And he sends Moses and Moses goes out and he's got a stick and he, he, he executes judgment on nine of the 10 gods of Egypt. But the final God, the final one, God... God says to Moses, tell the children of Israel that each household is to get a lamb or a goat and they're to sacrifice that lamb and then they're to take the blood of that lamb and they're to smear it on the doorposts, on the lentils of the doorposts. Now, if you have a look, a doorpost has a vertical beam and it has a horizontal beam. And they're to take the blood of a lamb with hyssop and they're to... What symbol does that look like that they're putting the blood on? And he says, and it'll come to pass, if we can put the verse back up, if it'll come to pass when the destroyer comes at midnight. When the destroyer comes, when he comes into to the land of Egypt, he will strike the firstborn because the first belongs to God. He says he will strike the firstborn except where he sees the blood. Where, what the blood covers, the destroyer must pass over. What the blood covers, the destroyer must pass over. The destroyer cannot touch what has been covered with innocent blood. The destroyer cannot touch what has been covered with innocent blood. Let me just show you a little little deeper. It's all the way through the Bible. In the book of Job, Job chapter 1 verse 5. The verses preceding talks about Job, a righteous man, a blessed man, a wealthy man, a beautiful man. He has seven sons and three daughters. Handsome boys like mine, beautiful daughters like my daughters-in-law. And the Bible says that, you know, there's 10 of them. So there's only 12 months in a year. So pretty much every month there's a party, a birthday party to celebrate one of the kids. The Bible says that, you know, they would, they would invite their siblings and their friends and, and they would make merry in each of their homes. They would make merry. They would, you know, drink wine and have music and laughter and exchange gifts and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they, they, they do things very differently to us. A, a, a Jewish celebration usually lasts about a week. A short one's about three days. So, you know, for, the, for a week, that's why you know, it's good to have a birthday week. Uh, every wife says amen. And, uh, but the Bible says that Job was so righteous. Job was such a good man that in verse 5 it says that, that Job, Job would take oxen and sheep and he would sacrifice on his sons and his daughter's behalf lest just in case maybe they had one or two glasses of wine too many maybe they had a mojito too many or a moscow mule too many (laughs) or a jalapeno margarita too many (laughs) felt a little bit inebriated and and maybe he says just in case maybe they've cursed god in their hearts just in case so I don't want them to, to suffer loss. So as their papa, as the priest in the home, he, he would bring a sacrifice and provide atonement. Now watch 
what the devil's narrative is just a few chapters later, because a few verses later. Because remember, remember, uh, the devil comes with all the angels and appears before God, and God says, Where have you come from? He says, I've come from the earth. And God says, Earth, have you considered my servant Jeff? None like him. Holy, shuns, you know, fears God, shuns evil. Nobody like him. And have a look what, what, the, what the devil says to God in verse 10. It says, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, this slimy freaking serpent says, many times I did see your servant Job. And every time I tried to find an access point to get in and cause misery, every time I tried to find an access point to get in and bring some hurt, bring some pain, put some sickness, some disease, you know, put some blight, you know, try and take some of his finance, try steal some of it. I couldn't get in because you have put a freaking hedge of protection around all that he has, around all of his children, all of that. I say all of this to say that, that this series that we're doing is called Paranormal. And I need you to understand that, yes, you and I live in a physical world of height, depth, and breadth. But I need you to understand that I would be lying to you if I didn't teach you that there is a fourth dimension. There is a spiritual dimension. In fact, the physical realm was birthed out of the spiritual realm. Everything that is seen was created by that which is unseen. The, the spirit And the spiritual realm is a reality. When Leanne and I moved here in 2005 with our three little boys, if you would have told me that one day we'd have all these campuses and we'd have all these buildings, and I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said, man, you've got rocks in your head. But I know that we are where we are today because on every step of the journey, there was an invisible, supernatural, paranormal, metaphysical God leading us to, to occupy and begin to take ground, not because we knew the mayor, not because we knew a billionaire, but because we knew a God that gives us supernatural weapons. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not carnal, they're not earthly, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. They are spiritual weapons. And you need to understand in this house, I don't want you to come to church for a homily. I don't want you to come to church for a little sermonette. I want you to come to church to understand that whenever you walk into this house, we're going to equip you. Whenever you walk into this house, we're going to give you that supernatural edge where you can crush the devil under your feet, where you can have victory in every area of your life. I remember when, when, uh, when we first, you know, started in ministry, it was amazing because, uh, you know, I get baptized in the Holy Ghost on the side of a hill overlooking the escarpment of, of Wollongong and uh, hit the deck. And you always know it's a genuine fallback when there's no catcher <laughs> and you're on concrete. You know, I've seen a few people do a courtesy drop. Am I meant to fall over? You know, and then, you know, but, but when you're not looking behind, I was Oh my gosh, and you're, what the heck? And you're, and you're on the concrete. That's a legit thing, right? So, so I hit the deck, as I hit the deck, I started speaking in languages I'd never learned. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, Bible reading went to a whole new level. Before that, I would read the Bible. And I was like, oh man, I know I meant to read the Bible as a Christian. And I would do. But now that I was filled with the Holy Ghost, it was like the words were swimming on the page. The Holy Spirit was like quickening stuff. Everything went to another level. I found that I had faith. I found that I was bold. I began to pray for people and they began to get healed and people began to get, it, get delivered and 
casting demons out of people. It was like, man, I had no idea this, this level existed. It's like, it's like you, 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 you got your, your, your football gear on and now you're on the field. And it's the Super Bowl and power is on you. It's like, man, it's amazing. But, but we spent, spent the first seven years of our ministry in New Zealand. And somebody once preached and they said, you know, when you become a Christian, when you go to Bible school, when you graduate from Bible school, when you put your hand up to, to be obedient to God, there's a big target painted on your back. Oh, you better believe the devil comes after you. And so, so you know, so I kind of lived under that. And every time I would go away to preach, people would get saved. But man, always something would happen in the home. I remember one time I was away and I get a phone call from Leanne and she's quite distressed and distraught because Ash, who was just, a, just a, a little baby born in May going into a really cold winter in New Zealand, his little lungs, uh, he'd gotten like a pneumonia and his lungs were so uh, full of fluid that he was struggling to breathe and he stopped breathing and turned blue. And obviously I'm away, there's no daddy in the home and she's got, you know, Geordie and little Ash and he stopped breathing and turned blue and we could almost, and it was like every time I was away, something, next time I was away, one of our cars got repossessed. And I mean, every time I was away, something went crazy. And the devil was doing it on purpose so that when I came back, Obviously, with the stress, we were fighting with each other rather than spending our time fighting for each other against an enemy. We were fighting with each other. There was tension and stress in the home as well as that. And so when Leanne called me, I remember hanging up the phone feeling so powerless, but at the same time saying, you know what? Thank you, devil. Thank you for reminding me that I've got a target on my back. And, and the only reason you're attacking my family is because I'm a threat to you. Man, this is confirming that I'm, a, and I'm doing all of that, right? And I, and I appreciate you, Tessa. God bless you. You're cheering. But God rebuked me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, threat to the devil. I said, you, you saw that altar call, God, pretty good, huh? About a dozen people gave their lives to Christ. They're no longer going to hell. They're going to heaven. Got a big target on my back. And he's like, Jürgen, what part of whatever you allow Whatever you don't allow, like whatever you bind on earth, I'll, I'll back you up, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll back you up. It'll be loosed in heaven. What, what part of that do you not? He says, why are you? I'm like, well, well, well God, I've got, I've, I've, I'm getting people saved. I'm a threat to the devil. I've got a target on my back. He's like, Jürgen, what the blood covers, the destroyer must pass over. He's like, when, when, did you, when was the last time you took communion? I said, God, you know, we have communion the last Sunday of every month. It's a few weeks away. He's like, exactly, there's your problem. He says, I'm not talking about communion in just in church. I'm talking about communion in the house. He says, your job, Jürgen, is you're to be the, you're to be the priest in your house. But the devil will ransack. He, when the covering's gone, when the father's gone, when the husband, when the head of the, is gone, of course he's going to come in and attack your wife and attack your kids and attack the health and attack the finances because you're gone. The covering's gone. The man who's meant to stand there as the gatekeeper and push back, he's gone. He's over fighting a battle over here. So the enemy sneaks in. That's how, 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 how he operates. He says, but you can leave a power present there. You can take. So we began. I remember calling Lance saying, oh my God, you're not going to believe what God just spoke to me. So we started taking communion and it's amazing. The attacks began to diminish. We began to find that over our finances, over our children, over our health, every time we need a miracle is real simple. You know what, devil? Oh, oh, you want to come against me? The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood. What does it say? When the enemy comes in like a flood, 
the Spirit of the Lord does what? Raises up a... A standard that the devil can't live up to, that the devil cannot overcome. He raises up a standard the devil cannot overthrow. There is a standard when the enemy comes in like a flood. There is a standard the Holy Ghost, your helper, your partner wants to lift up against him. And there is no higher standard than the blood of Jesus. So we start taking communion. We start seeing man, blessing, prosperity, peace. Our kids thrive. We begin, over every area of my life, that's what we begin to do. We begin to take communion. It is so powerful, the blood of Jesus. So powerful. So point number three, and I'm, I'm going to finish in Jesus' name, and then I want to pray for people. Point number three, blood has a voice or frequency. You need to understand, like, isn't it amazing that with all of our science and all of our technology, that if you know, someone has an accident and they lose blood, that we don't say, hey, you've lost blood, but we're going to put this superior fluid. Because you know it's important that you have fluid. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The, 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 the composition, what, what, the nutri- what, what is in the blood, the palates, the, the red blood cells, the, I mean the white blood cells, the, what is in blood is... As soon as a person dies, the blood is no longer any good anymore to give because the life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood is so powerful. In Genesis 4.10, Cain has murdered Abel. Cain has murdered his brother Abel. And God comes down. This is, the, this is Adam and Eve, their, their first kids, Cain and Abel, twins. Cain murders his brother. And God comes down and he says, hey, Cain, where's your bro? Where's your brother? And listen to the confession of a murderer. What? Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, you're about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube. <laughs> Little prick conscience, possibly. He says, actually, you're meant to be your brother's keeper. And then God says this. He says, what is this that I hear? Because I hear the cry of your brother's blood calling out for justice from the ground. Because you have done this and spilt his blood into the earth, the earth now is, has become a curse to you. It's going to be seven times harder for you to bring produce out of the earth, to bring fruitfulness out of the earth. And Cain was banished. This is a prophetic picture. Everything is a picture of Jesus, and I don't have time completely. But Abel comes from two Hebrew roots, Ab, Father, El, God. That Cain acquired would murder Father God, who just moments ago had brought a lamb and was accepted as righteous before God. The the, the Father God who would provide a lamb for righteousness would be murdered Anyway, and so, so watch this. So when, when, when we were coming into the 2016 uh, election, I, I was very, very heartbroken for America because I love America. I grew up on American TV shows and sitcoms, and I love the freedom that was united. But when we came here, I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then, oh, shoot, I realized why you brought me here, God, because there are 
powers in play. I would love to believe that everybody loves our constitution. Everybody loves what made America great and wants to keep it. That's what I believe. But I, but I underestimated the, 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 the wickedness and the corruption of sinful nature and greed. That there are people who see the greatest and the richest treasury in the world. The greatest superpower ever to exist. That want to get their hands on at the expense of the people to line their own pockets. And, I, and so I was so distraught and I was praying and everything seemed hopeless. And so God said to me, the Holy Spirit who's our helper. He says, Jürgs, when you pray, ask the Father to hear the prayer of the founding fathers. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> God bless you, Holy Spirit. You're so kind. You're so lovely. Little problem. Let me just kind of bring you up to speed. They're dead. D-E-D, dead. They died about 240 years ago, but, you know, nice sentiment. And he's like, no, 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 they're dead to you because you live in time. The Father does not live in time. He lives outside of time. And He hears the prayers of their original intent for this nation like they're being prayed right now. Ask the Father. So I did that. Three weeks later, the Holy Spirit came to me again in my prayer time. He says, now I want you to lift up another level. I want you to lift up another standard. He says, I want you to pray to the Father to hear the cry of the blood that Americans have shed, the innocent blood that her sons and daughters have shed not just in this land to fight for the end for the uh, abolition of slavery the civil war to put an end to slavery where where people don't listen to the narrative people died of all races of all ethnicities of all colors because they recognize that slavery was wrong because a man who yes owned slaves because that was the the time wrote wrote down that God created all men equal, that all men are created equal and are endowed with certain. And when he wrote that, he set into motion. It was, just, it was just inevitable. The time would come when slavery would be. Now there was a civil war and people are shedding their blood so that righteousness could flourish and so that oppression could end. But not just here in America. We've sent our sons and daughters to nations, Afghanistan, Iraq, throughout Mozambique, all over the world, World War One, World War Two. Americans gave their lives and the Holy Spirit said to me, you pray for the Father to hear the frequency and the cry of their blood that was shed to deliver other nations from dictators, from potentates, from oppressors. You pray. And then I had a dream and I saw three states flip and, and I shared with Leanne. I said, man, this is crazy. And we began to, there's something powerful in the blood. There is something powerful in the blood that has shed innocent blood. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 34, have a look at this one, Romans 8 verse 34. The Bible says that Jesus, uh, who is he condemned, Christ died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now we know that, we know that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. And then the Bible says that he rose from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of God. But the Bible says that he makes intercession. So I, I want to know, like, is he, is, he, is he seated or is he praying? Is he seated because it's finished? I oh, hang on, but it's not really finished. And he's got a, I'm praying for Jurgs right now, God. Oh, what a man. You know, like, you know, or, or is he seated? When Jesus said, it is finished, what he meant by what was finished was... Hebrews, I think it's 10 verse 11, says that it wasn't sufficient that the blood and bulls and goats could provide permanent atonement for our sin. Right. 
So daily they had to bring sheep. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, you will hear very, very bad teaching, bad theology, and the angels appeared to the shepherds because God was appearing to the poor. He loves the poor in the... No, 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 no. They, 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 they were shepherds. They were employed. All right. Um, people with a job are not as poor as people without a job. These people had jobs. They were shepherds. Believe it or not, the shepherds were the backbone of Israel's industry because they needed sheep. Solomon sacrificed a thousand rams at the dedication of the temple. Every day, the people were bringing sheep into the temple to sacrifice to atone for their sins. To bring a sheep to Somebody had to shepherd to make sure that you were multiplying enough sheep so you could feed your people, clothe your people, as well as have sacrifices and offerings. So, so the shepherds were, the reason the angels appeared to the shepherds was because their job was to bring lambs. Their job was to bring sheep. And they appeared to them saying, hey, the Lamb of God has just stepped into the world. All your stress or everything that you've had is, is about to come to a close. When Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is what was finished. The need for daily sacrifices of sheep, of oxen, of goats, of animals to provide a temporary atonement. The Bible says that Jesus, when He shed His, when He gave His blood, He provided a permanent, He provided eternal redemption. He offered His life once for all, once for all. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the one time that, that's all we need. We don't need another sacrifice. So he didn't end. That's why he said, it is finished. So what makes intercession? The blood. The Bible says again, and we don't have time in the book of Hebrews, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. Jesus was the lamb, but you know what? He played all the roles. He is also the high priest, the Bible says. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go to the temple. There was the outer court the holy place, and then there was a veil. Behind the veil was the Shekinah glory. Behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that had two cherubim that faced one another. Beneath the wings of the cherubim was what was known as the mercy seat. Underneath the mercy seat, or in, underneath the mercy seat was the box, the Ark. Inside the box were three items, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the manna part of manna from and they represented the three transgressions of mankind we've violated and broken all of God's laws we've rejected his lordship and leadership over our lives exalting ourselves or somebody else and then we've rejected his provision and we've looked to our own hand to provide our own righteousness and provide our own but the Bible says the priest once a year would take a lamb that had to be inspected three times Jesus was inspected three times. Pilatus, Caiaphas, and Herod. Each of them had the same confession. I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. The lamb had to be examined three times. 
Three times it was examined. Three times it had to be without blemish and spot for it to qualify. The high priest would then sacrifice that lamb. He would now enter through the veil with bells on his feet and a rope in case he was struck dead and God didn't accept. And he would go in and he would put the blood on the mercy seat. When the blood went onto the mercy seat and he walked back out, they knew that God had accepted the atoning blood and their sins were for, for, for forgiven. They blew trumpets and they celebrated a jubilee. God had forgiven their sins and the blessing would come, give them victory over their enemies and everything else. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, He also was our high priest and He went into the heavenly tabernacle, not made with human hands. The writer of of Hebrews says that all of these things are shadows and types of heavenly realities. Jesus went into the holy of holies in heaven and there He put His blood on the mercy seat. Now you need to understand if Abel's blood had a cry and a frequency, innocent blood shed, there was no more innocent, there was no more righteous, there was no more perfect human being than God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh. There was none more righteous. And yet, you talk to a Muslim, they can't understand. How can you worship a God that was so humiliatingly murdered? Look at, look at um, Muhammad. He, he armed people with, with swords and they went and they convert or die. He's, he's a warrior. That's the one you want to follow. Not this. They don't understand. They don't understand that God was providing atonement. The way He was providing atonement was the most righteous being in the entire universe would be so brutally and unjustly murdered by crucifixion. The mocking, the shame, the degradation, the violence of crucifixion. Why? Because the scream of His blood on that mercy seat would scream louder than all of my sin, than all of my transgression, because I've got a devil over here. The Bible says Satan, his name, God created Lucifer, light bearer, but in his rebellion, he becomes Satan, which means accuser. The Bible says he accuses us before the throne of God night and day. He comes and amplifies all my sins. But you know what is louder than his accusations about my sin? What is louder than his accusations of why I disqualify? God, you can't bless Jurgen. He does this and he struggles with that. And he didn't even, and he was thought, and you know what screams louder? The blood of Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But you know what's making intercession? The cry of His blood goes up saying, justice, justice, justice. Now, let me finish on this. Let me finish on this. So Jesus said this in John 3, 14. We all know John 3, 16. For God's love, the Word He gave us. But in John 3, 14, the context of John 3, 16, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin. If we can throw that one, there it is. For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus didn't just take on your sin, he literally became sin. So watch what Jesus does. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. So it's, it's, it's anathema to look at it. It's, it's almost hostile. Hang on, whoa, 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 what are you saying about my, my precious holy Jesus? 
Are you saying that Jesus became a serpent on a pole? That's exactly what I'm saying. Watch this, I'll explain it. Jesus didn't just take on your sin, He became sin. When Jesus was on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came across the land because God was extracting all the sins of humanity, every sin that I had committed and put them into, so that literally on the cross, Jesus became the object of God's wrath, became the object of God's anger, became the object of God's judgment. So the judgment that was sent towards Adam when he sinned, God had now injected a thing called time and redirected and then the Bible says in the fullness of time Jesus came and as the judgment of on sin which is death was meant to hit Adam Jesus steps in the way and Jesus takes it the judgment that was meant for my sin just like a heat-seeking missile that the reroutes and removes to hit the target in the same way God's wrath was rerouted by Jesus Christ like a heat-seeking missile. When Jesus was on the cross, He literally became sin. Now watch this. This is where it gets powerful. I don't have time to explain, but in Israel, I had an incredible encounter with God in my hotel room with a bathroom mat. You would think at 3.30 in the morning, how on earth you'd have an encounter with God in the bathroom mat, I swear to God, it's pitch black because I don't want to w- turn the lights on. I don't want to wake Leanne or my daughter as I'm 52. I wish I could make it through the night without peeing. I can't. <laughs> the bathroom mat, from the light from the hallway, there's a, a Hebrew letter glowing. And, and I recognize it's a Hebrew letter because it's not a... And, I re- and so I look up the next day and I, I see this letter. So God takes me on this journey where He begins to show me that the Hebrew language, what, the, the codes, what, what is in it. So what I find out is the word serpent, as Pastor Leanne has said before, is, is the word nachash. Nachash. Uh, the word nachash, every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. And the word nachash serpent has a Hebrew value of 358. Has a he- Hebrew value 358. Well, so what? What's well, really interesting because in the time of Joseph, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good, for the saving of many lives. In that, the Hebrew letters form in such a way that they begin with Nachash and they finish with the word Mashiach. Mashiach is the word Messiah. So it begins with serpent but ends with Messiah. There's one other word in Hebrew that adds up to 358. And it's the word Moshiach, Messiah. So what the serpent began in Eden, what the serpent started in Eden, God says, I'm going to completely blot out with the Moshiach, who Jesus said would be lifted up on a pole and his shed blood would cancel out all the sin, all the iniquity, all the transgression, all the violation of the evil one. Jesus Christ on the cross has saved you, has redeemed you, has delivered you, has healed you, has put a hedge of protection around his life. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about a paranormal power 
through which you win in life, where cancers and tumors are shriveled up and healed, where demonic forces are cast off over your life, where you can flourish, where you can prosper, where you can increase. Come on, if you believe that, say amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 